I'm Nathan Rutherford, and welcome to Myth Madness. Today, many people know the names of the major Greek heroes, ones like Heracles and Perseus. Those two I've already covered on the pod, but part of the reason I wanted to dedicate a whole season on Greek heroes was so I could talk about some that are less well-known. Two such heroes are the brothers Peleus and Telamon. In the modern day, both are completely overshadowed by their sons, Achilles and Ajax, who participated in the Trojan War and were immortalized by Homer in the Iliad. But Peleus and Telamon, especially Peleus, were celebrated heroes in their own right. Both have actually already made appearances in some of the past episodes. Telamon was a friend of Heracles, and accompanied him on some of his adventures. Both brothers were Argonauts, hunting for the Golden Fleece, and both were hunters of the Caledonian Boar. This episode will focus on the myths of Peleus. Peleus and Telamon were brothers, with Peleus being the oldest, although one ancient Greek poet, Pherecydes, said they were actually just really good friends. In all other cases, they are both the sons of a man named Achis, the king of the Greek island of Aegina. Achis himself is an important figure in Greek mythology, although he remains in the background of the wider mythology. As I pointed out a lot now on the pod, not all heroes and legendary kings are technically human. Achis is one more example. He was a son of Zeus and the nymph Aegina, who was in turn the daughter of the river spirit, Aesopus. In typical Zeus fashion, the god took the form of an eagle, grabbed Aegina in his talons, and carried her away, to the island that shares her name. Her father, Aesopus, did not see this and worriedly searched for his daughter. It was King Sisyphus of Corinth who told Aesopus what Zeus had done, but by that time, the woman was already pregnant with Achis. When he grew up, Achis was made king of the island Zeus took his mother to. He helped Poseidon and Apollo build the fabled walls of Troy, and after his death he became one of three judges of the underworld. Clearly, Achis had a very close relationship with the gods of Olympus. Relationship-wise, Achis was linked with two women, one named Endaeus, who was his wife, and also not human, since she was the daughter of the centaur Chiron and a mountain nymph. With Endaeus, Achis was the father of Peleus and Telamon. The other woman linked to Achis was a sea nymph, a nereid named Zamathi. She was surprised by Achis when she was lying on the beach in the form of a seal. Their child was a son named Phocus. Of course, what these family lines mean is that none of the three sons were technically human either. Nevertheless, the Greeks don't consider them immortals, for whatever reason, and are always considered human heroes, possibly indicating that descent is not enough to be considered immortal. In their youth, Peleus and Telamon killed their half-brother Phocus. It seems this maybe was the result of an aggressive sibling rivalry. Since Phocus was a celebrated athlete, they challenged him to a discus competition. In one example, Telamon threw the discus right at his half-brother's head, striking him dead. When Peleus and Telamon were found out, they were exiled. They were guilty of murder, although Apollonius calls it the result of a witless moment. So in some versions, at least, it was an accident. After being banished, the brothers went their separate ways. Telamon, 
went to Salamis, another island, and married the daughter of its king. What happened to Peleus was he got up to a lot of different things, but the order is a little jumbled in different sources. Here I'm going to try and thread them here in a way that makes the most sense to me. Apollodorus's library has Peleus flee to Phythia, in what is now central or northern Greece. There, he went to the court of Phythia's king Eurydion to seek purification for the murder of Phocus. This was a common practice for ancient Greek heroes. Only kings could purify those guilty of certain crimes, so murderers had to go visit a nearby palace or risk being cursed by the gods. We've already seen Bellerophon and Heracles do the same thing in past episodes. It seems to me that there was a complicated reason for why Peleus went to see Eurydion and not some other king. Eurydion was the son, or even the grandson, of another man named Actor. This Actor married the nymph Aegina, Peleus's mother, after she had her relationship with Achis, Peleus's father. So what is actually happening here is Peleus is leaving the home of his father, because of the murder, to go and join the home of his step-grandfather and be purified. As it happened, Eurydion welcomed Peleus into the other side of the family. Peleus married Eurydion's daughter Antigone, and was given a portion of Phythia's land to rule. Peleus and Antigone had a daughter named Polydora. At some point, another man arrived at Phythia, also seeking refuge after being exiled. This man was Phoenix, and he was the son of King Amintor of Elion another kingdom in central Greece. Phoenix's story appears in Homer's Iliad. He's mentioned in several other sources too, and was the star of several lost works. According to Homer, Phoenix's father, Amintor, often slept with a concubine, or prostitute. His wife, Phoenix's mother, grew jealous, and she convinced Phoenix to have sex with the prostitute too, in hope that the woman would come to prefer the younger man. When Amintor found out, he flew into a rage and called on the Arinyes, the goddesses of vengeance, to curse Phoenix with childlessness. Phoenix almost killed his father, but was persuaded not to before sneaking out of his family's palace and heading to Phythia. There, he became great friends with Peleus. In the later Apollodorus version, Phoenix was struck blind by his father's curse. Either way, though, he ends up in Phythia. But in this version, Peleus takes Phoenix to the centaur Chiron. Peleus has a close relationship with Chiron, and may have been considered one of Chiron's many heroic students. Peleus asked him to heal Phoenix's blindness, and Chiron, who is extremely knowledgeable in medicine and the healing arts, was able to cure him. After that, Phoenix became one of Peleus's closest followers. In the Jason episodes, I already went over the role of Peleus and Telamon and how they both went to Iolcos to join the crew of heroes. In the Argonautica poem, Peleus is one of the more active Argonauts. Most of the others are fairly faceless throughout the narrative. Peleus is the group's cheerleader. The heroes are often distressed by negative events, and are motivated to overcome them by Peleus. After the Argonauts' adventure, Telamon joined Heracles in going to the land of the Amazons and his attack on Troy. Both brothers later reconvened again in the hunt for the Caledonian boar. I've already discussed these adventures in other episodes, so feel free to listen to them if you haven't already to get the full story. For my purposes in this episode, know that according to Apollodorus, 
both Peleus and his father-in-law Eurydion joined the other heroes participating in the Caledonian boar hunt. The heroes feasted for ten days, before trying their luck with the fearsome boar. They went into the forest together. When the boar appeared, all the heroes tried to kill it, and absolute chaos ensued. In the middle of the commotion, Peleus saw his chance, and threw his spear at the boar. He missed, and instead of pig flesh, the spear sailed through the air and into the chest of Eurydion. His blood drained out, his hands grew cold, and Eurydion passed to his death on the wet dirt of the forest floor. Peleus had killed his father-in-law. Since the killing of a family member made Peleus a marked man in the eyes of the gods, he needed to atone for the accidental murder. To do so, after the hunt was over, he went back to Iolcos, where he had previously started his adventure with Jason and the Argonauts. By this time, Jason's uncle Peleas was dead, and Peleas's son, Acastus, was king of Iolcos. The younger Acastus was also a former Argonaut. Presumably, Peleus went to him due to their friendship from the Golden Fleece journey. After hearing what happened, Acastus purified Peleus. While in Iolcos, Peleus ran into some trouble. Acastus's wife, Astadamia, lusted for the handsome hero. After building up enough courage, she approached him when they were alone and told him they should sleep together. Peleus said no, and a bitter Astadamia began to plot her revenge. First, she sent a message to Peleus's wife Antigone. The message said Peleus intended to replace Antigone as his wife and marry Astadamia's daughter Sterope. When Antigone saw the message, she believed the lie and killed herself. Astadamia didn't stop there. She also told her husband that Peleus had tried to assault her. So now Acastus plotted against his old friend. Acastus took Peleus on a hunting trip. Apollodorus says this was in the forests around Mount Pelion, which was also where the centaur Chiron lived and a place Peleus was familiar with. So no need for suspicion, right? But Acastus had arranged for an ambush. As Peleus went to sleep after a long day of trekking through the wilderness, Acastus lay awake. He stole Peleus's dagger and hid it before disappearing into the night. Soon, a whole group of wild centaurs arrived. Acastus's trap was sprung. Peleus awoke and tried to fight off the centaurs, but without his weapon, it was only a matter of time. The centaur's arrows rained down on him, and all he could do was hide behind trees as his attackers rode in circles around him. Luckily, Chiron appeared and saved Peleus, giving him back the dagger. This story was told in very similar ways by Pindar in the 5th century BC and by Apollodorus some 600 years later. We know it goes all the way back to the 8th or 7th century BC as well. Hesiod's Catalog of Women contains the earliest reference to a lone Peleus searching for his dagger on the slopes of Mount Pelion, in hopes of not being killed by centaurs. But with his wife dead, and just barely surviving attempted murder, you're probably wondering, what did Peleus do next? Well, this is Greek mythology, and in Greek mythology, actions often have terrible consequences, and for the heroes, brutal revenge is a perfectly appropriate way to right wrongs. What happened was swift and brutal. Peleus gathered an army and marched on Iolcos, laying waste to the city. 
Astadania was slaughtered, her body torn limb from limb and thrown aside. Sometimes, Acastus was also executed. In Apollodorus's version, the heroes Jason, Castor, and Polydux, all former Argonauts, accompanied their friend Peleus. So what we have here is a war between former Argonauts. However, in Pindar's version, the might of Peleus was so great, he captured Iolcos by himself, without an army. With his revenge on Acastus and Astadamia complete, Peleus returned to his land in Phythia. His old home would have seemed empty without his wife. One of the oldest Peleus myths is about his relationship with the goddess Thetis, and how he became the father of Achilles. It's not entirely clear to me where this myth would fit in the timeline of Peleus's life. Apollodorus places it after most of his other adventures, but I think there is good reason to assume it took place when Peleus was still a young man. For one reason, in the Argonautica, the main source for the story of Jason and the Argonauts, Peleus's marriage with Thetis was already over, and they already have a child together. Thetis even helps the Argonauts, and does so by appearing to her former husband and telling him what to do, while at the same time telling him off for making her angry enough to leave him. The other reason is Peleus's relationship with his grandfather Chiron. The hero has a very friendly relationship with the old centaur sage. Peleus takes Phoenix to him to be healed, and the centaur also comes to Peleus's rescue after Acastus's betrayal. What's more, as you'll soon hear, Chiron is going to be very important for Peleus's courtship of Thetis, and afterwards, the marriage will actually take place on Mount Pelion. That's where Chiron lived, and not in Phythia, where Peleus ended up. If the marriage occurred on Mount Pelion, I think it's reasonable to assume Peleus was living there too, at least for a time. All of this to me suggests some kind of mentorship relationship between the hero and the centaur, just like there were between a number of Greek heroes. And if you accept that, since Chiron always mentors his heroes when they are growing up, I think Peleus lived near Mount Pelion, and so also married Thetis, before going on a lot of his other adventures. This story of Peleus' marriage to Thetis goes back to the days of archaic Greece, and is found in numerous sources of 7th century epic poetry. From the beginning, the marriage is the work of the gods, and is a consequence of the Olympians' own actions. Thetis was an immortal sea nymph, one of the fifty daughters of Nereus, the old man of the sea. Unlike many nymphs in Greek myth, she is not just a faceless female who is chased by some immortal or human man. She appears in several different myths, and it's implied she had a larger role in lost myths that are only hinted at. In the world of Greek myth, even though Thetis was a Nereid, the goddess Hera was very fond of her. In Homer's Iliad, Hera even points out that she nourished and raised a young Thetis. Homer also has Hera say she found a husband for Thetis, the hero Peleus. These same ideas are echoed later, in Apollonius's Argonautica. So far we have Hera acting as a surrogate mother for Thetis, nursing her, raising her, and finally matching her with a young man. Another archaic period epic poem, called the Kypria, is lost to history, yet a surviving fragment adds some even juicier details. 
This is likely an expansion of the tradition found in the Iliad. The Kypria was intended as a kind of prequel to the Iliad, so its writer was likely playing with the same versions. The Kypria says Zeus pursued Thetis and tried to seduce her. But to please Hera, Thetis avoided him. This, of course, absolutely enraged the king of the gods. He swore that if Thetis didn't want him, she should become the wife of a mortal instead. This threat is supposed to be shameful. In the early epic poems, the male gods look down on any goddess who sleeps with a mere human. It's at this point that Hera likely stepped back in. She couldn't completely go against Zeus's decree, but she could try to make the situation as good as possible for her favorite sea nymph. The later Argonautica points out that in the hope of making Thetis a happy bride and mother, Hera chose Peleus, the noblest man alive, to be her husband. Combined altogether, that is the reason for the marriage provided in the earliest surviving Greek literature. However, in the 5th century BC, we get another very different reason. At that time in Athens, the playwright Aeschylus was hard at work developing his famous play, Prometheus Bound. In this play, we get the story of the titan Prometheus being punished by Zeus. It largely follows the earlier account in Hesiod's Theogony, where Prometheus is punished after going against Zeus's will and making life easier for humans. But there are some key alterations. Aeschylus wrote the play as a trilogy. In the first one, Prometheus Bound, the titan hints he knows a dangerous secret that one day Zeus is going to be tossed off the throne by one of his sons. Who the mother is, Prometheus keeps to himself. In the third play, he finally reconciles with the king of the universe, and warns Zeus that Thetis is destined to give birth to a son greater than the father. If Zeus succeeds in seducing her, he's not going to remain king for very long. In the tradition referred to by Aeschylus, Zeus pursues Thetis and in some cases the god Poseidon does too. On hearing the prophecy, and realizing the danger to themselves, they back off. In Aeschylus's work, it's Prometheus who tells them this prophecy. In other sources, like the poet Pindar, it's another titan, a wise goddess named Themis, who was one of Zeus's first lovers. When Themis is involved, she warns that Thetis will give birth to a son greater than his father. But Themis also gets more specific, saying if Zeus or Poseidon sleep with Thetis, their son will wield a weapon more powerful than Zeus's thunderbolts or Poseidon's trident. With the warning delivered, Themis even comes up with a solution to Zeus's problem, that he should marry Thetis off to the mortal Peleus, so that there's no threat to any of the gods. A couple centuries later, in his Argonautica poem, Apollonius of Rhodes nicely takes these two reasons for the marriage and merges them together. In this poem, Thetis rejected Zeus's advances because of her respect for Hera, and like in the archaic period poems, Zeus promises she won't marry any immortals. But then Apollonius wraps in the tradition with the prophecy, saying that Zeus still desired Thetis, until Themis finally warned him about Thetis's destiny. Worried about having a son more powerful than himself, Zeus finally moved on. At that point, Hera matched Thetis with Peleus, because he was the best guy she could find for her young nymph friend. Even though the gods were busy planning Thetis's marriage to Peleus, the nymph herself 
did not get a lot of say in the matter. And Peleus wasn't going to just wake up one day and find himself married to a goddess. He was going to have to put in a little work himself. The 5th century poet Pindar describes how, following Themis' advice, word of Zeus's declaration made its way to the centaur Chiron. The centaur was instructed to tell Peleus how to go about finding Thetis, and how he would need to beat her in a wrestling contest to get her to accept him as a husband. Pindar doesn't describe this contest, but it appears in several examples of Greek vase art from the same time period. Centuries later, the Roman poet Ovid tells the following. There was a secret bay somewhere in Thessaly, with smooth sand and no seaweed. Thetis would often come to this bay riding on the back of a dolphin, and lie naked in the sunshine for a nap. While she was asleep, Peleus snuck up on her, winding his arms around her neck. Trying to escape, Thetis began to change shape. Ovid has her transform into a bird, a tree, and a tiger. Peleus loses his grip, lets her go, follows her to a cave, and then wrestles her again. This time, he tied Thetis up with rope. He wrapped his arms around her again and didn't let go while the goddess shifted from shape to shape. After tiring out, Thetis declared him the winner. The wrestling match is also described by Apollodorus. In this very similar version, Thetis changes into fire, water, and wild animals. This time Peleus never let go until she changed into her real shape and gave up. No second match in this version. So that's how Peleus seduced Thetis. You could say from start to finish, even though in the epic poems Hera seems to have tried to pick the best man possible, with the gods arranging her marriage, and Peleus literally physically overcoming her, she wasn't exactly looking forward to her new domestic life. And in fact, some Greeks may have recognized this. A late Greek poet named Quintus Smyrnaeus, writing around 400 AD, even calls Thetis an unwilling bride. But unwilling bride or not, the immortals were going to celebrate the marriage of one of their own. Numerous sources have the wedding located on Mount Pelion. The role of Chiron is central. He prepared the marriage feast for the guests, and one epic fragment from the late Archaic period even says the delicate maiden Thetis was moving from the halls of her father Nereus to the home of Chiron. So that means Chiron is playing the role that should have gone to Peleus's father. It just goes to show the close relationship between the centaur and hero, and suggests to me this occurred in Peleus's earlier years. All the gods and goddesses were invited to the wedding, and each contributed to the celebrations in their own way. The muses sang as a choir. Apollo played his lyre alongside them. Hymns were sung to Zeus. Hera carried the bridal torch. A beautiful vase from the 6th century BC shows a whole parade of gods as they attend the ceremony. And of course, with most weddings come gifts. An epic poetry from the time of Homer highlights one gift most of all, a magnificent spear. Chiron cut a long shaft of wood from an ash tree, Athena polished it, and Hephaestus fitted on the metal spearhead. In the Iliad, this spear is described as a formidable weapon, so huge, heavy, and thick, that only Peleus could wield it. In literature from the Hellenistic period, we get glimpses of other gifts for the couple. From Zeus, Peleus receives the wings of the goddess Arche, who was the messenger for the Titans defeated so long ago. 
From Hephaestus, a sword. From Aphrodite, jewelry. From Poseidon, two special horses named Xanthos and Balios. From Hera, a cloak. From Athena, a flute. And from Thetis's father, Nereus, a basket of salt. Something very valuable in ancient times, due to its ability to preserve meat and other food. When the wedding finished, in the words of the epic poet Alcaeus, Peleus took Thetis from the halls of Nereus to the home of Chiron. He loosened the pure maiden's girdle, and the love of Peleus and the best of Nereus's daughters flourished. Within a year, Thetis gave birth to the greatest of demigods, a man who would prove greater than his father. We know him as Achilles. What happened next is that in classical, immortal fashion, Thetis was worried about the mortality of her newborn baby, and decided to do something about it. In a nutshell, she wanted to ensure her child would never die, and took steps to make him immortal, just like her. But it is not easy to make a human live forever, and the task involves things all mortals would consider unnatural. It ultimately brought about the end of the couple's marriage. Thetis's plan failed, and one night, in anger, she left passing quickly out of the house, light as a dream and insubstantial as the air, she plunged into the sea. After that, Thetis never returned to the house of Peleus. But that story will have to wait, because I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll come back to it when I cover the hero Achilles in more detail in future episodes on the Trojan War. For now, listen to some verse from Hesiod's Catalog of Women, which just goes to show how Peleus's marriage to Thetis proved how important the hero really was. Peleus, dear to the deathless gods, came to Phythia, the mother of flocks, bringing great possessions from spacious Iolcos. All the people envied him in their hearts, seeing how he had sacked the well-built city, and accomplished his joyous marriage to the goddess Thetis. And they all said this, four times blessed is happy Peleus, for far-seeing Olympian Zeus has given you a wife with many gifts, and the blessed gods have brought your marriage fully to pass. And in these halls you go up to the holy bed of a daughter of Nereus. Truly Zeus the father, the son of Kronos, made you very preeminent among heroes and honored above other men. And that's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. As always, thank you for listening.